Welcome to the Data-Led Professional Podcast, brought to you by Intertrends and Data-Led Academy. This podcast is dedicated to helping folks become data-led to build better products and experiences. Today's episode, the rise of server-side tracking and its impact on advertising. Some of the questions we'll be handling today, what types of advertising data do companies like Google and Facebook collect and what methods they use today? What is server-side tracking and how is it different from client-side tracking? How is server-side tracking changing advertising? Who owns advertising data today and why that is a problem? What do companies need to do to avoid the risks involved in tracking advertising data? All right, so for this episode, we've come up with a hypothetical situation where Claudio and myself, we just joined a SaaS business called Calmhead, which is a CRM for doctors. We are beginning to gain traction as thousands of doctors sign up every week. We have been hired, Claudio and I have been hired to accelerate growth and we are responsible for all the performance marketing efforts and we have a budget for advertising. While it is realistic that the budget will help us hit the targets, it will only happen if we don't mess up our advertising campaigns. Now, Facebook and Google Ads are the main networks we will focus on, but we just got to a blocker. You know, we just hit a roadblock because our dev team does not accept any third-party scripts. They don't want to run any third-party scripts on our marketing website, and, and our legal department is also very worried. However, we need data to measure the performance of our campaigns and hit our targets, so we're not really sure what to do here. Well, to answer that, we invited Greg Brank, the head of product at MetaRouter. So, Greg, please introduce yourself and let us know what's all the fuss from the dev team on adding the third-party scripts. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for the sake of expediency, we can talk about Facebook. So Facebook's pixel and their library on the page collects a number of different things. And even when users sort of can control a level of consent, there's still a lot that's sort of unregulated that that third party library is kind of collecting from your page. They obviously collect the stuff that you'd expect an advertiser to collect. You know, if you run an ad campaign on Facebook and then someone clicks through to your site and ultimately buys that product or signs up for your application. Facebook wants to collect that conversion. And in order to collect that conversion, they need to know what you did and who you are. And so obviously cookies are very involved in that. We'll talk about cookies more, but they're also collecting all kinds of additional measurement data so that they can build audiences for you as a user and based on all the things you do around the internet. So they're interested in what products you're looking at, what conversations you're having, what groups you're a part of. So they're collecting all kinds of auxiliary data once they're running on the page, just about who you are. It's called measurement data. And it allows them to retarget to you when other advertisers are interested in selling to people like you that have interest like you on Facebook. And then Facebook does all kinds of additional crazy little things. Um, They fingerprint from the page. So if you don't give your consent to hand over your identity, they'll still attempt to try to figure out who you are by kind of looking at cues from your browser, like IP address and user agent to try to intuit who you are with a fuzzy match. They also do kind of some nefarious stuff like uh, prefetching, which is where if you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, and they sort of anticipate that your intent is to click on an ad, 
they'll actually prefetch the page that you might have clicked on. And if you, as the advertiser, don't intentionally turn that prefetch data off, they'll actually count that as a conversion, even if you don't click through, uh, which is pretty wild. There's, there's some stories of millions of dollars of fake conversion data being tracked and attributed as real purchases, even though users weren't actually clicking through. So there's a number of things that the library does sort of without a lot of regulation on the page. And so I can understand why a legal department would say, I don't want them on the page doing whatever they want. Okay. And out of curiosity, is Facebook doing all of that only for our own benefit? Or is it actually using the data that they collect from the users that visit our website for the benefit of other companies as well, or for their benefit? Definitely a combination of both. They've used the necessary requirement of dropping their library in order to track advertising conversions uh, as a way to also collect data about the broad scope of the users on the internet. They're running on a high majority of all pages and they are building a massive audience network, which is their primary value proposition. So that when I say, hey, I have a kayak store, I'd like to sell kayaks and I'd like to target kayak users. The way they know that is not just what you do on Facebook, but actually anytime you've searched or looked at or participated in kayak communities across the internet, they add you to an audience. And the way that they do that is by scraping additional data from all these places where they're running that doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with the conversion that you as the advertiser are interested in tracking. So they're definitely collecting a combination of data for their own purposes and for your business's purposes specifically. And all of that from just putting a JavaScript on my website? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. If you look at the network tab on any site where Facebook is running, you'll see a number of context calls. You'll see a number of explicit calls that the user actually wanted. They're kind of identifying with themselves all the time. They're sort of passively collecting information constantly on the page. Okay, so that's what client-side is, is, right? That's client-side tracking. Is there any alternative to this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the rise of server-side tracking and it's kind of the sort of the, the point of this podcast, right? You know, that's definitely kind of an emerging sector. You have kind of two types of server-side tracking. You have supported server-side tracking, which is where the vendor and both Google and Facebook fall into this category, where they do have server-side conversion APIs. So if all you're really interested in doing is tracking the conversions on the ads that you're running, that's what's really important to you. You can actually send that data server-side, assuming you have a good infrastructure in place to collect that and, and bundle it and send it server-side. You know, you have that option available to you. These libraries, these vendors, because they don't want to lose access to that raw measurement data, it's so important to them to be able to build those audiences. They often will separate out the critical identity and the server-side tracking to make sure that you still drop the pixels. They don't want you to only do server-side. They'll let you do server-side, but through the sort of supported pathways, you're often still required to have the Google site tag or Facebook pixel on the page in order to handle the identity piece. There are emerging solutions where certain companies out in the wild, like the company that I represent, are trying to figure out ways to do 100% server-side tracking. And usually what that looks like is running a module on your page where you figure out how to essentially hoist whatever necessary attribution mechanism, whatever necessary cookie or ID on the page at the beginning of a new session is in order to attribute with Google or Facebook. And then you limit 
those libraries from being on the page at all for the whole rest of that user session until that critical ID becomes either invalid or ages out of the cookie space or is cleared. And so that's a big part of what we do is we run what's called the sync injector and it hits a specific ID sync endpoint at Facebook. It takes their former third-party cookie, turns it into a first-party cookie, and then we kind of allow you to use that ID when you're sending all your data server-side so that you can still actually attribute through those offline conversion APIs, those server-side APIs, and not have to drop the pixel on the page at all. Would this work on remarketing as well? Yeah, so retargeting and remarketing is an interesting space. And those types of vendors, you know, the big players being Trade Desk and MediaMath and Xander and others, they're really scrambling to try to figure out what they do with sort of the increasing regulation on cookies that Google's imposing and that, you know, others are going to impose. Obviously that Safari has, has been very aggressive and imposing, you know, the only way that if you have an ad running on ESPN.com and then they drive to your store and then the user purchases it, the only real way currently to understand who that user is in both places is a third party cookie. Uh, it's a cookie that is owned by, let's say, MediaMath, and they know who the user is on both sites because they can read that third-party cookie. And that's how they're able to track the fact that the user saw the ad on one site, purchased the product on another site, and they can count that conversion. When MediaMath loses its ability to drop that third-party cookie, there's not going to be any good natural way to kind of attribute that session in both spaces. And so you'll notice that Trade Desk and MediaMath and a bunch of identity consortiums, they're all scrambling to try to figure out what they're calling global ID solutions, which is kind of a single publisher and advertiser ID that can be used in sync across the internet for that user. The problem is the only way to really make that work is PII, personally identifiable information, because the email address is the central thing that really doesn't change for the user. And if you can send that email, then you can get back one of these global IDs, like in Trade Desk case, it's called the uh, the Universal ID, or I think. And then there's, you know, LiveRamp has its own solution. A bunch of people have solutions, but in order to get access to that global ID, which really works really well to kind of connect to these cross cross uh, domain sessions, is to first hand over the email address because that's like the key that they use. And often, of course, they don't ask you to send that as a raw email. They're asking you to send that as some kind of hashed encrypted email. So it's still relatively safe. But currently, there aren't many solutions gaining traction that are figuring out how to solve this problem without the email. And so increasingly, you'll see these vendors, uh, you know, and publishers starting to post like an email wall requiring you to sign in or asking for an email, you know, or you have the option of either enabling ad block or disabling ad blockers or giving over your email. You know, it's an important, it's an, currently a very important mechanism to try to handle the remarketing problem. Interesting. So I think my question is, how is server side tracking changing advertising? For us, you know, we've joined Comhead and we want to figure this out. But we really want to understand how is this changing advertising and you know what should we know um, before we decide to jump uh, and like spend millions of dollars on advertising sure yeah that's a good question there's a there's a couple of different implications of server-side tracking you know i think first of all we you know we sort of believe uh, at our company that the commercial entity that a user chooses to go into a relationship with the application that they sign up for or the e-commerce store that they choose to buy products on that commercial entity 
is the best positioned to handle that data responsibly and safely um, because the user has sort of chosen to enter into that relationship. I always think of like a 7-Eleven. If you go into a convenience store and they record you on their cameras, you recognize that you're being recorded. You go into that store willingly, you choose to buy products there, they have a right to record you. If you suddenly find out that that company is just freely giving out that footage of you to a bunch of secondary parties, you're gonna be really upset, right? Because you didn't choose to have a relationship. So the reason we love server-side tracking so much is because you as a business are taking your first-party data into your first-party ecosystem, your server-side ecosystem, and you're choosing to establish the rules and the cadence and the order and the parameters and the data points that you're choosing to share with your third parties. Rather than just letting Facebook run on the page, do whatever it wants, you are controlling the narrative. And we really believe that even though not every business is gonna operate responsibly, we believe that they're in the best position to operate responsibly because when a doctor goes to your application, he's choosing to communicate with you, not Facebook. And so we like that concept that you should take control. So that's the first part is like, it's a philosophical prerogative, I think, for businesses to start operating responsibly with the data. I think the second piece is you, you have a big bump in efficacy, right? You know, there's, there's all kinds of noise on the browser. There's ad blockers, there's browser side regulations, there's, you know, uh, people clearing cookies and doing different things. So when you're collecting kind of a first party off the browser into your first party endpoint, let's call it like events, you know, vendor.com is sending to events.vendor.com, right? Like a first party relationship. You're, you're not gonna experience nearly as much noise and disruption in the data, and you're gonna have a cleaner data set inside your ecosystem so that when you send to Facebook and Google, you not only can control the rules of how that's set from one place to another, but you can also you know, ensure that there's a greater consistency between those two platforms. So I think you gain a lot of performance and control when you're kind of in charge of the delivery mechanism. I understand everything you've said about controlling the data owning the data and all that. But our lives as marketers, will that change? Uh, and let me go with some straight questions here. Will I be able to target doctors that, I've, that have never been to my website, uh, but are, are doctors out there and are similar to my audience with server-side tracking? Will that be uh, possible? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think... Um there are always going to be CDPs and sort of audience building mechanics inside of these advertising mechanisms that will expose to you an audience that you can buy from. The efficacy of those audiences will degrade. And we talked about the media math example earlier. As they lose ability to attribute the things that users are doing across the internet, the audiences that you get from third parties, as those third parties are regulated, those will get worse. So the advantage and the thing that we would say is you need to start owning more further downstream. You should try to start owning more of the customer data profile and the audiences like you're talking about. These doctors try to own more of that ecosystem to the degree that you can. So that either means sort of establishing the right relationships or building kind of an in-house CDP. I mean, there's no perfect answer to the fact that as companies try to give more privacy to the user, your ability to go after a user who hasn't expressly 
been interested in you, you're going to lose some efficacy there. But I think the advantage of kind of building an in-house group, populating that data, and then trying to get lookalike models where and when you can from your relationships is the best path forward. I think you'll see you'll see more ability to, you know, probably a, a less of a large a data set, but a more specific data set that you are quite sure you're actually interested in, rather than kind of relying on somebody else to tell you, we're pretty sure this audience is interested. Um, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of the new, it's going to have to be the new normal owning more of the audience building, more of the bidding, more of the, the data feed. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Cause today advertising data is fully owned by Facebook and Google and all the advertising companies, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's why they get conversions counted, even if they never happened. Yeah, I think what we're seeing, especially in the bigger enterprise space, and I think it's going to take some time for this level of control to trickle down to the SMB market, just because it tends to be, you know, obviously a little bit more work and a little bit more expensive. But we're definitely seeing a lot of big enterprises, instead of working with a bunch of auxiliary direct partnerships with different CDPs and different advertisers, they're starting to build in infrastructure databases. They're using big data warehouses and they're either importing outside data that they can get from the rest of the industry, or they're importing data directly from their own sites and sources and apps. And they're starting to pull internally from those feeds and use the appropriate mechanisms to, to send that audience out just with a piece of creative rather than telling Facebook, I'm interested in people that are interested in kayaks and here's my creative. You say, here's an audience set. These, I want you to go into your market and target lookalikes to this set of IDs, this set of audiences. So that instead of allowing Facebook to go, sure, I'll take all the raw data and do whatever I want with it. You're saying, no, this is kind of the persona that I'm going after. You can leverage your lookalike model to target that persona, but I'm not actually going to give you a ton of raw data about my users outside of their consent. And that actually puts you in a position to still leverage their audience, which is really valuable for retargeting and remarketing. But you don't have to hand over raw information about your users in order to make that happen. And I think as you know, there's a, there's some cool in-house CDP, SMB market CDP activity that I'm seeing where some of this control is really being possible as a SaaS tool. And then you can decide whether you want to invest internally as a data engineering team and building out your own data warehouse and starting to own more of the audience creation and the bidding sort of in-house um, and really not have to kind of expose that outside of outside of your infrastructure. And I'm really, in the long run, that's the best for your users. 100% agree. We've actually talked about this in a previous episode. So it makes complete sense, like own your own data. And if you have a data warehouse, consider building a CDP on top of it rather than investing in an out-of-the-box solution. So, uh, Greg, uh, why don't you tell us what do companies need to do to avoid the risks involved in tracking advertising data today the way it's done today? We've talked a lot about server-side data feeds, right? We've talked about sending your measurement data and your conversion data from the server on your terms, but the browser space is still critical and it's going through a lot of turmoil as Safari is doing its ITP blocking that evolves seemingly every quarter into more stricter restrictions. They're even putting restrictions on first-party data now. And Google is launching its privacy sandbox, which is actually an excellent solution to the problem, but it's a little bit 
tricky that it's owned by the biggest advertiser in the world. So you never really know what the intentions of that are. I think the server-side tracking piece we've already talked about is really important, but actually there's a supplemental component to that that's also really important. And that is that you're taking more control of what's happening on the browser. So when we talked about switching from allowing Facebook to just run wild on the page to interfacing with Facebook from the page, the way you want to on your terms, that's really the critical piece for you to start hedging against the risk coming from all of these, not only private sector changes with browsers, but also the government regulations that are coming through with CCPA and GDPR. There's, there's all kinds of tight restrictions and tight limitations that are coming fast. I mean, ITP is already in place. Privacy Sandbox is coming very soon. So I think one of the things that would be really smart for anybody to consider is putting mechanisms in place that allow you to control the rules on the page. So we've talked about the fact that sort of like my company offers what we call a sync injector, but the basic premise of that is, is that vendor by vendor by vendor, you are on your own terms, establishing the relationship that you're comfortable with for identity for your users. And ideally you have a consent mechanism in front of that. So your users have a single point at which they can choose. I don't want to participate in this identity sync. And you're like, great, you turn that off. Now, instead of having to go to each individual tag and ask them to stop doing what they're doing, you just shut off your control of that identity space. If you do that, when ITP comes along and puts an additional regulation or privacy sandbox comes along and requires you to do certain things, all you have to do is change your one point of interface with privacy sandbox, for instance, and now you can be in compliance with Google's rule and you can take a look at how that impacts the server side tracking that you're doing and what identities are going to be available when sending that server to server data. But you can't just rip the tags off and start sending data server side. You really need to invest in some way of managing those syncs, managing those identity pieces, because that's the only piece that really needs to remain on the page. And, and I would recommend if you're not comfortable building that internally, look for vendors like MetaRouter that have syncing libraries that can kind of control the individual rules with vendor by vendor by vendor. And that puts you in a great position of power to say, I'm comfortable leveraging this ID. I'm comfortable with the, the efficacy loss that I might have with this new anonymous ID, but at least I know it's compliant. You can kind of make those decisions vendor by vendor. The old world of letting a tag manager dump as many tags as it wants on the page, it's going to die, not only because it's really not allowed anymore, but also the increasing browser restrictions are just gonna make it ineffective. Those tags will lose efficacy. And so you want to have a solution in place that allows you to choose when and where you want to try to maintain efficacy and operate according to your own rules. And I think those two systems together, more client-side control and more server-side tracking, really puts you in a position to hedge against this impending death of cookies and see where the industry goes and then adapt and adjust. And that adaptability is really powerful in advertising. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Greg. That was great. That was like super informative. I'm glad our audience has a lot to take away from this episode. So thank you. So before we say goodbye, uh, do you want to tell us, do you even like cookies or you prefer cakes instead? I do love cookies. I am a pie person, man. And a good, good, solid, a good, solid apple pie is the way to go. You know, I maybe privacy sandbox is sort of the new pie solution. So I'm a big fan of it. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Uh, it was awesome chatting with you. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Take care. Bye. Oh, what a great show, Arpit. So now we have our company, we have our budget, and we have the dev team and the legal team that's not allowing us to do any JavaScript on our website. 
But at least we have a plan, right? Yeah, uh, I think that was like super, super uh, useful. Everything Greg said just just made so much sense. So glad we we had a chance to talk to him before taking a decision. Uh, my takeaway is that we need to own our own data. We have to be really mindful about implementing third-party JavaScript libraries on our website. Uh, we obviously cannot allow that. We are uh, in the medical industry. Uh, our clients are doctors. We have to be really mindful about, you know, how we handle data that we collect. It's, it's certainly not cool to like not know where our data is going. And uh, we have to own a copy of all our advertising data. We can't just leave it to Google and Facebook to figure it out for us. So uh, I think that's my takeaway. What do you think, Claudio? No, I'm, I'm exactly on the same page. And like what worries me the most is the fact that on even at the most basic level on conversion tracking, I cannot trust Facebook or Google to give me the right numbers. It seems they are doing a lot of things trying to, to benefit out of the whole situation. And I also know it's right. Like it's, I'm, I'm yet to find a campaign where the numbers in Facebook match the numbers in my backend. It never happens. So Greg had a great explanation for that. And I think your uh, conclusion is just right. We need to have full ownership of that data. So I don't even need to ask Facebook what's my conversion uh, rate from the ads that uh, were brought in. I can get that answer myself. And then I can also go to Facebook or to Google and tell them, no, these conversion numbers are not right. This is the right number. We need to optimize on this. So I think we do have a chance to reach our targets. Uh, and probably we can also make a few dev friends if we let them know about the server side tracking for advertising. So yeah, I'm happy about this. Let's do that. Let's do that. Awesome. Thanks, Claudio. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We are trying new things and hope you enjoyed this format. And uh, we'll hopefully see you again the next time around. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Data-Led Professional Podcast. Don't forget to join us for the next episode. If you found this inspiring, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. And don't forget, the podcast is brought to you by InnerTrends, the analytics platform for product-led growth companies, and Data-Led Academy, helping you build better experiences and have better conversations. Check out the free Data-Led guides if you haven't already.